Welcome to ASEAN Insights, Understanding Southeast Asia, the premier podcast that examines current dynamics defining the region. Brought to you by the Economic Research Institute for ASEAN and East Asia, each episode we will talk with thought leaders who are shaping the future of the region through research, policy, activism, or business. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Lydia Reddy, the Director of Communications at the Economic Research Institute for ASEAN and East Asia. Today, I'm talking with Yasu Ota about his book called 2030, Geopolitics of Semiconductors. Our conversation ranges from um, issues about decoupling between China and the United States, AI and ethics, the right to privacy, and the impact of the geopolitics of semiconductors on ASEAN and how ASEAN can position itself to to best benefit from the current circumstances. Yasu Ota is a Tokyo-based columnist and TV commentator for Nikkei, covering the Asia-Pacific region, uh, uh, covering many issues, including international trade and digital innovation. With 35 years of journalism experience, Yasu has spent more than half of his career as a foreign correspondent in Washington, D.C., Frankfurt, Germany, and Singapore. He is the recipient of the Ban Weda Memorial International Journalistic Prize, an annual award for journalists who have made exceptional international news reports. Yasu has a degree in physical chemistry from Hokkaido University and graduated from night journalism course at Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Yasu Ota, I am so happy that you could join me this morning to talk about your new book. Well, thank you very much, Lydia, having me here. Um, uh, this is the first time to be interviewed by, by you. Uh, yes, I wrote a book about the semiconductor. Title is uh, 2030, uh, uh, Geopolitics of Semiconductor. That is the title, which uh, I try to depict the, the structure of global economy, including ASEAN, uh, through the prism of uh, high technology, such as the semiconductor. So let's talk about it. Great. I, I would like to start with just a general question. I mean, we know that the United States has just passed a bunch of export restrictions on on semiconductors and the technology that um, enables basically the the development of AI. And so can you sort of dig into that a little bit and explain the particular relevance right now of uh, sort of set the stage for for, um, the geopolitics of this issue and why it's so important right now. Right. Yeah. What well, everything has started in the uh, era of uh, uh, Trump administration. Uh, Mr. Trump, in all of a sudden, started uh, accusing China, saying that uh, China is occupying high technology, uh, especially the telecommunication technology, something called the 5G. 5G is a next generation protocol of uh, telecommunication. And um, when they 
look at the picture of the global market, they realize that 70%, 60% of the market share of 5G equipments uh, were dominated by the Chinese uh, uh, makers, uh, particularly Huawei. So the Mr. Trump was angry, right? And so uh, the telecommunication should not be controlled by the Chinese company. So that's why the American government, US government has imposed a sanction against uh, Huawei and uh, related companies in China. That is the beginning. Why China has a technology? Yes, of course, China is uh, the major technological nation right now. So uh, it is US or Japan even who has to catch up with the Chinese technology. And when it comes to digital technology, China is far, uh, their the ability of capability of uh, research and development should not be underestimated. So the US was upset and uh, Mr. Trump was has started that uh, uh, the policy, sanction uh, policy, and Mr. Biden has succeeded that uh, direction as well. And what is happening now is because China has a technology, it is possible for China to control all the communication or semiconductor production and AI development, which is not really good uh, for the rest of the world. Uh, it should be balanced. The technology should not be uh, dominated by one nation or one company. So that, that's why the US uh, imposed a sanction and uh, deeper and deeper. Uh, actually, two weeks ago, I think, uh, uh, Biden administration has announced a new uh, major uh, sanction, uh, export restriction measure against China, uh, which includes a long list of the items and technology of export on the list to China. So by doing that, the U.S. is trying to control the technology flow from U.S. to China or from the allied nation to China. So what I'm worrying about is this might end up with being a deeper decoupling between the U.S. and China and the division of the entire global world. Let me just ask you something I'm not quite... Yeah. I uh, didn't quite understand. So you said that China controls digital technology, essentially. Is that right? Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and that means because of the 5G? Mm. Uh, yeah. What does that mean? Because, I mean, from my understanding, the United States has the best um, capacity to design uh, the, the high-end chips. Yeah, that is the exact point. What It's kind of rude awakening. Everybody, including myself and you, believed in the U.S. is a nation where the most advanced technology is being developed. Yes, it has been like that. But now China is, is even better than the U.S. in a sense. Uh, looking at the 5G, uh, 5G equipment itself, it's, uh, it's, uh, there's a bunch of advanced technologies in, in there, uh, semiconductors, algorithm, AI. Uh, all the digital new uh, development is uh, is employed in, employed to make the, the 5G equipments. And, and look at the reality is, looking at the market share of the products of 5G, Huawei is the number one. The second comes Nokia and Ericsson is the North uh, European companies. No Americans, no Japanese, right? So this is a reality. 
So we tend to believe in that the U.S. is uh, far uh, advanced um, than the other uh, competitors, but the reality is does not seem to be so. So that but, is the things we have to realize. Yeah. So, but five G is a communications technology, right? Mm -hmm. So it allows faster, deeper communications. Mm -hmm. Um. How does how does that relate to say the development of AI? I mean, everyone talks about AI being the new oil mm. or you know the, the the currency of the future. So how does mm. how does five G relate to AI or does mm -hmm. it not at all? Well, my understanding is uh, digital technology comes with twofold two pillars. One is semiconductor, which is hardware. Uh, the second one is data. Uh, digital signals, uh, in other words, informations. So those two uh, pillars support the whole digital uh, technologies. And 5G is just a symbol of this uh, technological uh, system. Uh, if you don't have a super uh, capable semiconductor, you cannot make a 5G equipment. And also, if you don't have a super nice uh, algorithm of AI, you cannot uh, manufacture the 5G equipment, a 5G system. So that's why I'm saying 5G was important, but it was just a symbol of the whole the uh, technological yeah. level of digital. Okay. That's what I would say. Okay, that's clear. Um, so let's let's go back to your book and the and the yep. geopolitics of this issue because it seems to me there are several different risks that are mm. that can potentially come out of this can you can you talk about that a little bit yeah the risk uh, risk is you know we witnessed the chinese communism party's conference which was held last week and uh, i think it's a singapore media uh, has broadcast all the videos, the pictures, movies of the scenery of the, the conference. And Xi Jinping, Mr. Xi Jinping was now have a much stronger position in the party. And uh, Hu Jintao was, it looks like this way, he was kind of ousted by the other uh, the, the people in, in the conference room. So it was so shocking, wasn't it? So yeah. China is is such a nation and xi jinping mr xi jinping is his position is as strong as ever i don't know how long it's gonna last but uh, uh, the reality is what we have to the reality we have to face is that we are facing that nation china and uh, the government and the xi jinping administration can govern all the technological development and the investment and even the digital uh, data. Uh, so I don't really think this is a healthy situation. So the risk is there, this speed of uh, R&D. So eventually they will end up with having a huge amount of individual data, information, and it can be dominated by the China. That is what I'm afraid of. Uh, so that's the, and, uh, the, they become the AI superpower. Yeah, that's right. You know, thinking about AI, uh, everybody believes AI is smart, right? 
what where that smartness comes from. I just studied a little bit about AI, how AI works. Uh, as a system, I uh, interviewed uh, AI researchers here and there, and uh, all they say, you know, Yasu, AI is not smart. AI is just a black box. We don't really know how AI thinks about the issue. For example, if you ask AI whether this picture is a cat or a dog, okay? So the AI might say, oh, okay, this is a cat. Right, correct, it's cat. And you show the next picture to AI and the AI say, oh, this is dog. And you say, no, this is not dog, this is a cat. But by keep repeating this process, AI eventually becomes able to answer the correct answer. But we don't know how they think, how they judge um, it is dog or cat. Um, we don't really know how the AI judge cat or dog, but that means there should be a teacher who teaches AI and shows a picture, bunch of pictures, millions or so, trillions of pictures uh, to the AI. So I think that's why we have to be concerned that uh, there should be a teacher which is human. That means that the AI uh, relies on the society where they are developed. Because the teacher, if teacher has a ethics like a mother is not so bad, you know, sometimes it's necessary to keep the stability of nation, then that value will transfer to AI. Mm -hmm. So, so that means uh, the AI born in China or or any other country, or AI born in Japan, AI born in in Jakarta can be different from each other. So the mm -hmm. different AI may give a different answer when it comes to the very crucial questions, such as, uh, let's say, uh, some criminal behavior. So how, how to judge the, the significance of this criminal action. So this all, this all the, the judgment depends on the criteria of society. The AI is not automatic. It's not just technology. It's a reflection of human society. So, so the, there's, the, there's, a, there's a triple risk, in fact. I mean, mm, mm. we think about the economic risk of, mm. of AI. We think about the security risks of AI. But what you're talking about really is values, that the yeah. values of, of the culture that develop it will become the values that govern the AI. That's really yeah, interesting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you, in your conversations with the people who are working on AI, um, when you first started talking about those conversations, I actually thought you were going to take the conversation in a slightly different direction. And I thought you were going to okay. say that um, AI is not, it's farther off than, than we're thinking. Everyone's focused right now on AI, mm. but in reality, you know, maybe maybe the communications technology itself is still more important. Maybe robotics is still more important. I, I don't. Mm. I mean, I'm just um, thinking out loud, really. But do you do you think that we're really on the verge of such major breakthroughs in AI that that mm. um, we need to be very, very, very concerned, mm -hmm. or is it 
farther mm -hmm. up there. Maybe we need to also be focusing on some of these other areas of mm. technology. Mm. Yeah, definitely AI is the one we should focus on because okay. uh, we don't really know what's going to happen next. You know, yeah. I use a, I use a, uh, Google in my house. And uh, every morning, the Mr. Google tells me that uh, what I should do today. And sometimes he asks me, uh, he asks me my uh, schedule and my preference, and uh, he even asks my mood in the morning. So that means it's very convenient, you know. It's uh, it's very supportive, but at the same time, I'm I'm concerned that uh, that means that Google, Mr. Google, knows everything about me, and so. With that means my data, my information uh, flies to the server of Google. So this is a really powerful weapon. The, well, the... But, but the, your concern that you're raising is a very valid one that people are discussing all around the world, which is privacy. Mm. Mm, um, yeah. but, but when we look at the development of AI, that's a very tricky balance to find, right? Because if... If you take the European approach to privacy, um, mm -hmm. the big companies like Google will be somewhat uh, hindered in their capacity because they won't have the ultimate access to data that mm -hmm. say the Chinese would have with, with their companies. Um, and therefore, the Googles of the world would fall behind companies in China mm. um, who would have the competitive advantage because there's really very little protection of privacy when it comes to data. So right. um, do you see, how do you see the United States uh, looking at these issues? Because on, on one side you have Europe, which is the, where they really have developed some of the strictest mm -hmm. privacy controls. On the other side, you have China. Mm -hmm. It's a sort of in the middle. Just tell me. Well, it's, it's a good point. Well, uh, as long as Google, we trust Google, so the we can benefit the, the technology. But the premise is uh, we trust Google, or at least we trust Google wouldn't do anything super wrong. Uh, that's why we keep using the Google. But the, uh, Alibaba or Tencent or other uh, Chinese major digital giants do the same, right? And even bigger scale, uh, in a population of China is 1.4 billion. And uh, US, Canada, Mexico, all the North, uh, Northern America uh, is around five, six billion. Uh, no, I mean uh, 0 0.5, 0 0.6, half of it. And yeah. ASEAN, ASEAN has 0 0.6 billion, right? So, which means uh, China plus ASEAN means two billions. This major, huge chunk of data, if this data chunk is uh, controlled by the, the Chinese uh, limited number of uh, digital giants, uh, we can't really trust, you know, even though it is convenient. Uh, we don't know uh, how they use the data because there's no uh, clear regulation. In, in the US, uh, democratic discussion is being made on Capitol Hill, whether or not Google 
who's who's governed Google or other platforms. All the discussion is is harsh discussions actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, it's taking place, but not in China. Uh, uh, basically, we regard we, we we think that the government and en- enterprises are is in in the same track. Uh, so that, that's what I'm. Um, I, I have a concern about. So let's let's um, go to ASEAN for a second because you mentioned yeah. you sort of you sort of put them in the China camp there, which surprises me. I mean, I know that you know lots of people in ASEAN use the Alibaba and and uh, Tencent, but they also use Google. So mm. um, and this is like the you know the ongoing problem for for ASEAN. How are they going to remain nonpartisan, essentially? So how do you, how do you see um, ASEAN? What do you see as ASEAN's uh, role or position sort of right. between? Yeah, yeah that, that is extremely important point. You know, I am a Japanese journalist, so I look at ASEAN, well, look at China and the US from Tokyo. So uh, when uh, ASEAN is looked from the viewpoint of Tokyo, the most of the Japanese think this way. Okay, the ASEAN is being sandwiched between the China and the US. And uh, ASEAN is wondering which way they should go. And they think, uh, they feel they have to choose one of two. Uh, so that's why the US and China is fighting over ASEAN. That is a picture that the Japanese people tend to have. But if uh, uh, taking a look at from the ASEAN itself uh, point, of, point of view, uh, the member state of ASEAN is uh, very busy to survive. You know, uh, they don't want to be, uh, uh, they don't want to choose one of two, US or China. Uh, it is risky uh, to take one position. So uh, to me, ASEAN is extremely, uh, the member states of ASEAN is, is uh, uh, acting very carefully and, uh, and strategically. So when it comes to data, yes, ASEAN has a huge data population and uh, uh, business activity, which is an asset of ASEAN uh, in terms of data value. So that's why the US, China, uh, their their company want to uh, approach the the huge uh, data set. Um, But that is, uh, strategically speaking, uh, uh, quite, advantageous situation for ASEAN. Uh, US is looking at ASEAN heavily, you know, like 10 years ago, uh, not so many people in Washington policymakers know uh, know about uh, ASEAN, what ASEAN is, but in, in like five, six year ago, years ago, they started uh, talking seriously about ASEAN. So nowadays, uh, uh, the vice president or the ministers uh, comes to ASEAN like uh, every month. So uh, this is good for ASEAN. So the big question is how um, 
how well the ASEAN can sell this uh, asset to uh, to major uh, to superpowers and keep in order to keep the independence. So the the big data, uh, the population and uh, uh, the high growth rate is is uh, asset diplomatic asset of ASEAN uh, to have the better position in in the world the geographic so in your book you you talk a lot about um repositioning japan because it's it's lost the the front place in a lot of this technology or the leading mm. role that it used to have um mm. and so i'm wondering does does asean factor into that strategy that you that you propose yes definitely uh uh, when it comes to semiconductor industry, uh, the name of countries uh, comes to in their mind is U.S., China, Korea, and Taiwan, and maybe Japan. Uh, but don't forget ASEAN. Uh, actually, Singapore is one of the uh, biggest uh, producer of semiconductor in Asia, and Malaysia, particularly Penang. So the uh, Korea and Taiwan is famous for uh, something called the foundry, uh, which is uh, uh, manufacturers of semiconductor wafer uh, with circuit on it. So to make the final product of semiconductor, you need to have the latter uh, process after wafer making, uh, uh, like chopping the wafer into the small dices and the packaging and testing and checking and the wiring all that process is mostly uh done in in asean region uh, mm -hmm. uh mainly in malaysia so the malaysia uh thailand uh, singapore and plus uh, vietnam is other as uh, a major uh, producer uh player in the semiconductor supply chains mm -hmm. so if we want to have the secured, safe supply chain, supply chain of semiconductor, you cannot neglect ASEAN. You cannot just focus on Korea and Taiwan or Japan. You cannot just simply disconnect China out of it. So the question is how to uh, include ASEAN in this supply chain system. That is what America is, is trying to do. So they're looking at the American US policy on the Indo-Pacific strategy and everything, or IPEF, the new framework of uh, economic cooperation. Uh, mm -hmm. It always is supply chain, safe supply chain, particularly on semiconductor. So that is the reason why US uh, uh, have attention to, to ASEAN. ASEAN has a facility uh, right now and in the future. So when it comes to the Japanese uh, uh, policy, uh, uh, there's a huge movement here right now, particularly uh, from September, October. Uh, it's this sort of fever of the old voice of uh, semiconductor engineers. You know, the, in 80s or 90s, Japan has been the uh, semiconductor superpower, right? Um, and uh, it's just defeated by defeated by Taiwan and Korea and China. Uh, so they are so they feel uh, 
how say, so very, say very angry, you know, the old boys, the engineers in 60s or 70s, they had a uh, very uh, experience, a very nice period of time in, uh, in, in history and enjoy the, uh, the uh, economical success. But now is a loser and they want to revive. So this energy, energy is, is really strong politically. So this enthusiastic power uh, is sort of driving force of, of the, uh, the industrial policy in Japan. So uh, their way of thinking is like this. Uh, let's revive Japanese power of semiconductor with ASEAN like this but what, what Japan is trying to do Japanese government is trying to do is to uh, 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 reform the supply chain of semiconductor and Japan has equipment uh, manufacturers and Japan has uh, material uh, components manufacturers for uh, semiconductors but only part missing is is uh, fabrication so uh, what they are trying to do is to find a way to connect uh, fabrication uh, uh, business somewhere in ASEAN or East Asia and the Japanese material equipment industry combined and make a sort of independent, secure supply chain. ASEAN can benefit. I mean, that's those are high paying jobs. Yeah, probably, yeah. As long as Japan gives uh, investment in ASEAN and uh, do some technological transfer from Japan to, to ASEAN, that would mm -hmm. be good. But at the same yeah. time, ASEAN has to be neutral. Uh, the ASEAN has to have a strong tie with the US and uh, the Chinese market is still there and uh, the ASEAN is heavily relies on Chinese market. So cannot be uh, decoupled. So as you were talking about ASEAN in, in, and semiconductors, you mentioned Singapore, Malaysia, Vietnam, right. and Thailand. So why those yes. four countries? And what about the other countries? What about the big ones like Indonesia and the Philippines? Philippines has some production. I don't really think Indonesia is, uh, is playing a major role in semiconductor industry yet. Mm -hmm. But uh, what Indonesia has is the resource. Uh, it's not just about semiconductor. Semiconductor uh, is basically made of silicon, right? Uh, currently, but uh, we are now stepping into the, the EV, electronic vehicle uh, age, right? So, which means the EV uh, employs a lot of new type of semiconductors. And some of them, most of them are not made of silicon, but uh, new uh, materials. And those materials are sometimes called rare metal, rare earth. And um, Indonesia is one of the, the limited number of countries in the world who produce rare metal, rare resources. And uh, battery, uh, which is, uh, um, necessary uh, components for EV. Uh, battery requires uh, nickel, 
nickel is the 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 thing that Indonesia can produce as number one in the world. So the 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 digital EV uh, semiconductor, all the the um, developed um, digital uh, technological industry is now uh, looking at Indonesia heavily. So uh, you know, talking about the current uh, semiconductor uh, technology, uh, yes, uh, Singapore, Malaysia uh, has some advantages position, um, and Thailand has a production. But in the future, uh, because technology is is uh, is developing so rapidly, so nobody can tell what's going to happen next year. Uh, so maybe next year, there may be a totally different uh, way of production of semiconductor, totally different materials. Yeah, interesting. Well, I think this has been an amazing conversation, and it's gone on longer than than we had planned. So oh, sorry. We don't apologies at all. It's because I mean there are just there's so many interesting issues in on this and and in a year let's do an update because I'm I'm sure as you just said things will have changed again by then. Everything's changing so rapidly and we'll have a better sense maybe of what the uh, outcome is of the recent Biden uh, restrictions on exports and, and how that's gonna play out. So yeah. Um, a, a, any last words or just a big thank you to you for sharing. I, I want to ask you. Your book has been a bestseller in in Japan, and it's already been translated into Chinese and Korean. So can you please write your next book in English? <laughs> what? A, yeah, I should. I should. Before doing that, I have to study more. Study <laughs> English more. Okay, well, Yasu, thank you. Well, very thanks much. a lot. Yeah. And talk with you again soon. If you have any questions about the issues explored in this episode, email us at contactus at iria.org. If you enjoyed this episode, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other streaming platforms so that you will be notified about future sessions.